I was the only non-white kid at the first school that I went to, as far as I can remember. And so I'm, I've sort of spent my whole life in, in predominantly white communities um, where there was a lot of talk about feminism and no talk about race. But it felt really natural to have that conversation. Like it's a conversation I've been having my whole life. And so really, really has, it really has more longevity in my life than the photography. And so it sort of felt like a coming home. Starting a business is a risk. Running a business is a risk. Growing a business, yep, that's a risk too. Now, ostensibly, we've all signed on for this risky life as an entrepreneur, but we often find ourselves searching for certainty and hunting for a sure thing. We do it every time we think another $2,000 course is gonna answer all our questions about building a successful business. We do it every time we wait a few more months to launch a new offer into the world. We do it every time we avoid reinforcing a boundary because it might upset a client. You're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. In our last episode, episode 241 with Charlie Gilkey, we talked about how striving for certainty keeps us stuck. When we aim to choose the sure thing, we end up hesitating, procrastinating, avoiding. Charlie advocated for building our courage by finding all the moments in the day when we can choose the option that has room for growth, for vulnerability, for risk, and yes, for uncertainty. Now, I was reminded of that idea during my conversation with today's guest, Alethea Fitzpatrick. Alethea is the founder of Co-Creating Inclusion, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm with a mission to shift culture and drive equity through workshop facilitation, leadership development, and business integration. But Alethea has also been the founder of a host of other ventures. And to continue our focus on resilience and entrepreneurship, I wanted to talk with Alethea about the long and winding journey she's taken to get where she is now. Because where she is now is authentic, organic growth and a whole new level of success doing work that is incredibly important to her and to the world. Now, we'll get to how she's achieved that in a minute. But first, let's take another look at how having the courage to tolerate uncertainty, to even embrace uncertainty, can work in a business. Now, later in the conversation, Alethea shares that she's chosen clarity of her why and her what, but she's remaining open to how it's all going to come together. She's choosing to be strategic about designing a container that's flexible enough to hold different outcomes. Now, I think this is a beautiful example of what Charlie was talking about in our last episode, but it also seems to be the secret sauce for how Alethea has gotten to where she is right now. She has always followed clarity while allowing for openness and uncertainty so that she could grow into the direction of her goals. Keep that in mind as Alethea and I talk about the journey she's taken to get to where she is now. Alethea and I also talk about the businesses and jobs that predate co-creating inclusion, the moment she realized there was a new opportunity presenting itself, how the transition into consulting felt, and how her zone of genius keeps her from getting caught up in expectations. Now, let's find out what works for Alethea Fitzpatrick. Alethea Fitzpatrick, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Tara, for having me. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Me 
too. And I am so excited to hear more about what exactly is going on in your business today and all of the exciting things that are happening. But to get there, uh, we have to trace this journey that you've been on because it's been a winding <laughs> one. And this, yes. yes, and this is what's going to shed light on how you've become more resilient, how you've utilized and leveraged resilience over the years to keep moving forward when, you know, sometimes it was good, sometimes it was not so good, um, but always looking for where you could be, uh, where you could do the highest good. And I, I feel like that's where you are right right now, um, or at least at the precipice of it. And I can't wait for listeners to hear about that. But uh, to kind yeah. of set the stage, let's start off by having you share kind of what all you've been up to over the years as a small business owner. Yes. So I think to start with the end, <laughs> and then I'll trace sure. back the steps. Um, but I actually just did, you know, at the time of uh, recording this at the beginning of September, and I just kind of did a low-key launch of a new business name, um, which is co-creating inclusion. And so we do diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting, leadership and team development, business integration, um, and workshop facilitation. And um, so that's where I am now. Um, but it has been, as you said, it's been quite a winding journey. I mean, my, my background is actually in architecture. So I went to school for architecture got my license, practiced architecture um, for a total of almost 20 years. And 10 years ago, it was the middle of the recession, um, and I had my first child, and I decided not to go back to architecture off of my maternity leave. And at that time, I remember just having this sense that I mean, I'd, been, I'd been sort of, I'd been burning out in architecture for a little while, and had a sense that there was something else. I loved it. It's sort of a, there were many aspects of it that I loved, but I was also burning out and feeling like there was something different that I could do that would be more aligned to my unique talents where I could create more of an impact. But I had no idea what that was. And so there I was, um, not going back after maternity leave with my, you know, three-month-old baby, um, taking lots of photos, really falling in love with photography at the same time as I was falling in love with my baby. And so I was like, oh, um, there are tons of families in Brooklyn where I'm located. I'm going to, I'm like, why don't I do family photography? Um, so that was the first business. I started out as Alethea Chang Fitzpatrick. I, I actually listed out. I've had five, co-creating inclusion is my fifth business wow. name. That officially makes you a serial <laughs> entrepreneur. <laughs> so I started out as Alethea Chang Fitzpatrick Photography, even though I didn't really want to use my name. I wasn't quite sure what to call it. I did family photography for a little bit. Then I renamed my business Nesting NYC um, because I was interested in kind of combining some of my architecture background and interiors and doing perhaps mm. like um, nursery design along with photography. Um, that didn't really gain traction at the same, but I was doing the family photography, but I was also getting a lot of questions about like, well, how do I take better photos? And, you know, this is when Facebook was really starting to take off, the iPhone was starting to take off. Um, so I started teaching photography workshops for parents. So that turned into the third business, which was Photo Sanity. And, um, and it was really about finding joy and connection through photographing your kids, which is something that I was really experiencing at the time. I had another kid. Um, then I went back to architecture for a few mm. years. 
um, sort of to for for a number of different reasons, and we can talk about that more if you like. But um, it was a little bit to part of it was to sort of see like could I fall back in love with architecture again. Um, part of it transparent in, in transparency was also financially mm -hmm. driven. You know, two kids in in preschool in Brooklyn. I can't even not, imagine. Uh, <laughs> it's not a, it's, that's not a inexpensive proposition. Um, so I went back to work. I worked for about three years um, in architecture. Actually had a really amazing experience doing that in ways I could not have imagined or predicted, but didn't fall back in love with it and still had that sense of like, there's something, there's something more, there's something there's something more that I could be doing. Um, and so I quit again in 2016. And it was at the time to relaunch Photo Sanity. Um, but as I, and I, and I was moving away from online group, big group online courses and more into one-on-one -on -one coaching. And as I was having with these conversations with women around their photographs, I was also getting to have those conversations about work-life integration and identity and you know like who am i even now that i'm a mom and you know a lot of sort of guilt and beating beating oneself up about even about the photos and just all of these really interesting conversations that i've i've you know i have been i've, I've have been engaged in sort of my whole life at least around sort of um feminism and um and sort of women in the workplace even before i had kids um but but yeah, so really um, from those conversations, I wanted to expand my toolkit for those clients that I was, you know, working on with, the, uh, on with their photos. So I took a women's leadership coaching certification and really loved it. And I was thinking that that would be an add-on to my photography coaching. Mm -hmm. But after I did that, I sort of was like, no, this is what I want to do. And photography is one of the tools that I can um, that I can offer um, around women's leadership and sort of being present and and um, shifting the narrative around um, sort of sort of and really actually resilience literally is a theme of like finding resilience through the joy of the present mm -hmm. moment and rather than you know sort of the negativity bias that sort of how we've been socialized to focus on like all of the things that we're doing wrong and how we can use our photos to shift into Sort of also seeing the things that we're doing right and the joy um from that though i and this was also you know 2016 2017 the election in the us and for me really also thinking about how do i align with the things that are most important to me um so as i was going on that journey into women's leadership um i was also really starting to unpack my own personal experiences around race um and that kind of led to people just starting to ask me, like not local nonprofits contacting me. Um, well, I did a, I first, I, I, um, I'm, I, a friend and I co-facilitated a workshop based on the Seeing White podcast around race mm -hmm. equity. And from that, people, so, so, you know, people in the community started hearing about us and that work and started contacting us to find out if we would do equity and inclusion workshops for their nonprofit organizations. So I started doing that um parallel to taking actually a position as COO with the women's leadership company that I got my certification with and um 
So I was doing that for much of last year, came out of that experience, um, sort of open to another role with another company while also doing some consulting on the side, or maybe, maybe um, you know, I was just very open to what was going to happen next after that. And so I started getting more project, more and more projects from non, bigger and bigger nonprofit organizations in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. Um, and for me, all of my work around race really um, brought to light for me the limits of feminism. And I would specifically say the limits of white mm -hmm. feminism, like a feminism that centers on white women and doesn't bring that intersectional perspective, not just for race, but sexual orientation and socioeconomic background and you know ethnicity, immigration status, mental, physical disability, all of those things, um, religion. Um, I really kind of stepped into um, sort of women's leadership and feminism isn't enough for me. I really want to embrace all of the different aspects of diversity and an intersectional approach. So I kind of stepped fully into that diversity, equity, and inclusion work and title. And so I was doing work as Alethea Chang Fitzpatrick Consulting. Mm -hmm. Happily, I still had the domain from when I had <laughs> Alethea Chang Fitzpatrick Photography. So I was like, oh, look, I can, I can like reuse that. Um, but again, I never really wanted to have a business named after me. And as the, the work has really been um, sort of snowballing this year, um, and all of a sudden I was looking at like five or six projects for the fall that I was not in any way, shape or form gonna be able to deliver by myself and um, started building a team. In fact, I was on a call with you in the What Works Network um, and I remember you were like, you should think about your org chart, even if you're not ready to hire a team. And I was like, really? I think that's kind of far off. And then a week, literally a week later, I was like, oh my God, I need a team. That advice has literally um, never failed me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, it was so funny. Literally, it was like literally a week within one week. I was like, I, I was realizing I needed a yeah. team. And so I've been building just a small, you know, a small team right now of, uh, I have a couple of other um, co-facilitator, consultants who can flex in and out. Um, probably will be adding a third, uh, another team member as well, um, and uh, and an OBM. And um, yeah, I I have. And then I really wanted to make the. It felt like a good time to um, create the new business name and the new domain. And so, um, literally, at the past couple of weeks, I was out of town up in the Catskills. <laughs> working at a picnic bench in the woods on um, with my OBM on getting some systems set up so that um, after Labor Day, we could launch under the new name. And so uh, that's that's where yeah. I am. And I tried to keep that relatively short, but it's kind of hard to it's hard to to get that no, all in. Yeah, quickly, I mean, but. totally. We I think we needed that kind of understanding of where all you've been and kind of the transitions that you've been through um, to really get an idea of how you've kind of coached yourself, how you've seen yourself through over the last what has it been? 10, 12, 10, 10 years. years, 10 years, really 10 years. Um, like I was pretty steady and I feel, it feels very whiny, but I was like, I put a good solid 15 years into architecture before like all of these, all of these sort of twists and turns. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, really the last 10 years. 
We'll find out how Alethea Fitzpatrick finally started making the move toward diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now look, both content marketing and social media marketing are changing. People are becoming more and more careful with the way they spend their time online. They're craving more genuine connection with the right people more than they are looking to connect with the whole wide world. They're also becoming a lot more careful with the information they're consuming online. They're slower to give out their email addresses and they're wary of our sales funnels. But changing trends in online behavior don't have to spell disaster for your online business, nor does it mean it's impossible to get a new business off the ground today. Today, more than ever, people are searching out trusted sources for connection, information, inspiration, and ideas. They might be wary of a billion-dollar corporation banking on algorithms, but they're excited about the people and brands who are making a genuine effort to understand their problems and create innovative solutions. And that's where you come in. It's also where Mighty Networks comes in. Mighty Networks helps you connect with your audience like you've never been able to before. Start conversations, answer questions, share articles, build online courses, create private or premium groups. Mighty Networks puts you in control of creating the ultimate social, educational, or support network for your right people. Here at What Works, Mighty Networks helps us unlock our mission of connecting 10,000 small business owners and level the playing field for success as an entrepreneur today. To find out more about what you can build with Mighty Networks and give it a try for free, go to MightyNetworks.com. That's MightyNetworks.com. So one of the things that came to mind while you were talking us through this journey is all of the transition points, because, Mm. you know, you, you said, well, I've had five different businesses or five different business names and, you know, it's easy to kind of fixate on like, well, what was this business and what was that business and how did that work? And, um, what were the mistakes and what were the successes there? But I'm really interested in the points of transition between each of those businesses, because I think that's one of the places where we need to call on resilience Mm. the most, right? Is when we're in the process of making a decision to make a change. And then even after we've made the decision to make a change. So let's talk about specifically the transition away from photo sanity and into women's leadership work that would later become work around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, How did you know at the time that you were ready to make a move like that? And what were some of the things that were going through your mind as you were deciding to make that change? So it was gradual. And I would say it probably happened, it probably was a little over a year of transitioning. And I would say that I was relaunching my, so I quit in the, it was July of 2016 when I left my job to relaunch Photo Sanity. So that, so we know November, 2016 was uh, the election. And um, I would say that I was in the early stages of relaunching Photo Sanity um, 
And by relaunching, I mean, I had never really closed it. I'd sort of kept it kind of running it. Like some people never even, some, some of my photo sanity clients never even realized I went back to work in architecture, <laughs> depend, depending on the different ways we were connected. Um, or, you know, if they missed that email when I, when I, when I had, when, had announced that. Um, and so I was relaunching it while, you know, all of this is playing out in the sort of political landscape and the, in the, and the general conversations, you know, in, in this country. And I really just kind of had, it was really a process of understanding my reactions to what was going on in this country, kind of unpacking my reactions um, to that and really going through a sort of a personal journey on, on that front while at the same time kind of trying to figure out like how do I reconcile what I'm building in a, how I want to earn a living with the things that are most important. And it, even though I still deeply believe in the power of photography to tell stories, to take control of our own stories and narrative, um, I, it just wasn't feeling aligned with my deepest beliefs mm -hmm. that I was uncovering in the process of unpacking my response to the election. If that makes any sense. Yeah. That totally makes and, sense. And so I, one of my reactions was that like, you know, was realizing I've always been passionate about supporting women, but like now more than ever, that was something that I felt was really needed and that I could contribute. So in a way I was sort of on this hunt, you know, back from when I first quit architecture, sort of have been on this hunt for how can I make the most impact and the sense of the, that I could make a bigger impact, but not being sure what that looked like. So I'm, in a way, like in the back of my mind for 10 years, I've been sort of looking for that, for that, for what that is. Mm -hmm. And um, the election kind of gave me some clues about that, about what I really cared about and the role that I could play. And so over the course of the following year, 2017, it was really a, just a slow shift in terms of exploring women's leadership, but also the race equity and diversity inclusion. And um, it was, there wasn't really one day that I woke up, there wasn't really a point in time when I was like, okay, I have to make a decision about this. It was really a slow process of kind of shifting, I think what it was, was I sort of shifted photo sanity to include women's leadership and it got harder and harder to explain. Yeah. <laughs> It was just kind of it was just kind of confusing to me. So I was like, this is going to be really confusing to other people. Um, and actually, one of my photography coaching clients, I mean, actually, a pivotal moment was when one of my photography coaching clients came to one of our sessions and said, you know, I haven't done my photography homework because like my job has just taken over my whole life. And so I was like, well, do you want to chat about that? <laughs> And, and so we had, so we chatted about that and she found it really, like, I kind of was winging it a little bit, but kind of going off of my own intuition and experience and she found it really helpful. And so I said, listen, like if photography isn't something that is a priority for you right now, we can shift some of these sessions to talk about some of these other things. And she was up for it. And this was, I think, 
I don't think I had started the women's leadership certification. I think I might have known that I was going to mm -hmm. do it, but I hadn't done it yet. And so that was kind of a, an important point in the journey of how I shifted. And, and in the end, it was just too hard to sort of integrate the two things. And so, um, you know, I also did the, my, I didn't mention this before. I also did uh, my Myers-Briggs uh, training and that on the heels of the women's leadership really kind of opened up for me some very different possibilities. And I was like, you know what? It's making less and less sense that this business is called photosanity. And, um, and now it's really time to make that shift. And so that was when I reopened aletheafitzpatrick.com and kind of shed, you know, photo, I mean, photosanity is still there, like as a, as a website. Um, so I didn't sort of delete it yet. I mean, I guess that will be coming eventually, but um, I, yeah, so I started a new website that was, that was told, you know, fully focused and centered on, um, on women's leadership. So that was kind of how the, that was how the transition. Got it. Um, can I ask you specifically about that transition with that client? Because I think a, a lot of people would see that as a pretty big risk um, to not only make a transition like that, that it's a, it's a, that's a pretty big transition just in general, but then with a specific <laughs> client in the moment, being willing, being open to saying, hey, do you want to completely change the <laughs> the scope of the work that we're doing here? Would that be helpful to you? That would, like a lot of people, I can imagine having it in the back of their heads and being like, oh, I could help this person so much. If only we could talk about X. But you decided to, to say, hey, we can talk about X. Would that be helpful to you? Um, I don't know that I have a fully formed question here other than like, how did that feel? Like when you're in that moment making that suggestion and then like subsequently as you're actually kind of starting to dig into a different kind of work, how did that feel for you? It felt, it felt amazing. <laughs> and it felt, it, it, it was sort of, I think it was that feeling of like getting into alignment because I, like I said, I have been passionate about supporting women and sort of coaching and mentoring women informally throughout my whole career. And, you know, I went, I grew up in England and I went to um, these all girls schools that were founded by progressive women in the late, you know, 1800s before women had the vote, um, you know, based on the premise that girls deserved as good an education as, boy, as boys did. And so my whole, like the narrative, my whole sort of childhood and growing up was around um, sort of women's empowerment, which is sort of a phrase that I don't like anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what, like, right? But like, I mean, that was kind of how it was, that was sort of how it was, how it was framed. Um, at the same time, no one ever talked about, like there was no discussion about race. Right. And, you know, I was growing up in predominantly white communities as, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a British born Chinese American, um, for those listening who may not know, but um, I, I was often the only non-white, you know, I was the only non-white kid at the first school that I went to, as far as I can remember. And so I'm, I've sort of spent my whole life in, in predominantly white communities um, where there was a lot of talk about feminism and no talk about race. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it felt really natural to have that conversation. Like it's a conversation I've been having my whole life. Um, and so 
really, really has, it really has more longevity in my life than, than photography. And so it didn't seem, it felt, sort of felt like a coming home. Mm. Like this, like this is where, like, this is the conversation that I want to be, that I, you know, that I want to be part of. And um, yeah, and I'm still passionate about that conversation about women. I'm always going to be passionate about supporting women, but I, um, it has to, you know, for me, I'm really clear that it has to be intersectional. I'm really passionate about talking about race as well. So, um, so I wouldn't say I've moved out of women's leadership, but I've sort of broadened the le- it broadened the lens to diversity, equity, inclusion, which includes, you know, which includes. Yeah, awesome. Uh, one thing that we talked about before we hit the record button was how magical <laughs> your current kind of growth into um, the co-creating inclusion business is feeling right now. And I think that there's um, there can very easily be a fear around like whether that magic is going to continue or whether it's all going to dry up tomorrow or, you know, all these like there's best case scenarios, there's worst case scenarios, and then there's all the scenarios in between that we fixate on as well. And I think this is an important piece of the resilience conversation too, is just like when things are going well, when you feel amazing, when you feel super aligned, when you feel like you're at home with the work that you're doing, how do you maintain uh or even move forward in in that feeling without the voices creeping up of like oh this is all gonna end tomorrow or do those voices still creep up and like what do you do about them so the voices do creep up and i am very one of the things i've become very aware of is when are the voices from outside of me Mm -hmm. And what and when are the voices from inside me? And invariably, the voices are from outside of me. And so then I can kind of recognize that and remind myself that those are voices that are coming from outside of me, whether it's specific people or just kind of you know socialization in general, or even just a a fear of what other people might be saying or thinking. Um, I think that one of the amazing unexpected things is that through this journey, the more I've been able to let go of expectations and let go of my idea of what this is going to look like, the more traction I've been getting. I mean, it's just been the sort of weirdest, but most amazing thing to experience, which is that if I can get out of my own way and be really really open to how my work is going to look like what the container is going to look like the things that have been happening are like way beyond what i could have imagined like i'm i have the most amazing nonprofit clients um they are right now ranging from so i started out with very small nonprofits but now i'm sort of um like 50 to 300 people um is turning out to be with nonprofit organizations is a sweet spot is the sweet spot right now. And I don't, you know, that may change, Mm -hmm. but I would never, I would never have come up with that myself. I would never have been like, 
I'm going to talk, you know, you have those questions like what your target is like, I don't know what my target is. Um, I would never have sat down and been like, you know what, I'm going to target nonprofit organizations with 50 to 300 employees, like never would have crossed my mind because my experience in architecture is all with corporate and pretty big major um, corporate brands. Um, and so, um, and I'm loving it. Like it's such, it, I'm, I'm, it feels like such a great fit, but I would not have known that. And I think when I have, I have shifted my focus from like my idea of what it looks like to really pay attention to, um, and a lot of this comes from the Myers-Briggs actually, is like how, what is my natural, what are my natural personality preferences? How, and what that means is it's when you're in your, when you're utilizing your natural personality preferences is actually more energizing and less draining. Mm -hmm. So I've really been paying attention to what energizes me and, you know, Gay Hendricks in his book, The Big Leap, talks about zone of genius. And so I use that a lot in my work as well. Like, you know, because your Myers-Briggs can basically, you know, shows up, how that shows up, you know, is different for each person in terms of what your zone of genius is. But your Myers-Briggs informs what your zone of genius is in terms of, well, that, that's what I found with my work and my clients. And so really understanding. And again, it goes back to that idea that I had of like, how can I make the most impact? Like what I've really been looking for to understand these past 10 years is what is my zone of genius? What is the work I most love to do that is most energizing, but also creates the most impact for others? And as I've used that as the metric, rather than who am I targeting? Is it a business? Is it working for someone else? Like all of those other things. And I have all those questions, but when I've been able to be really open about the answers to all of those questions, and when I've been really discerning or, or really paying attention to um, how I'm energized and my zone of genius and like what are the moments where I really feel like I'm in the flow and creating impact and just really loving it, that I think has been what has moved me through to a place where um, I'm like so excited and energized by the work that I'm doing, by the clients I have, by the people I have on my team. Um, that's what's that's what's coming. That's what's happening. And it does feel magical because I'm sort of like, I didn't know it was going to look like this. I had no idea. And it's happened pretty quickly. And um, and I think that the faith that brought me to this point is the faith that will keep me going from this point. Because if I start now to then have expectations be, and be attached to how this is going to look, um, I'm going to lose that connection to um, the zone of genius. And I think that, that is um, that would be how things go off the rails. And I think as long as I hold that faith and stay pay attention to what, um, what I'm energized by, um, I think it's going to go be okay, even though I don't know what that means it'll look like. Yeah. I totally agree. And where does strategy come into play for you? Because I think that often people think it's an either or, right? Either I remain open to all the options. I, you know, follow my zone of genius or I create a plan and get strategic. And 
I don't believe those two things are mutually exclusive. I'm going to go out on a limb and and guess that you don't believe those two (laughs) things are mutually exclusive either. So um, I'm curious how you balance um, kind of letting go of expectations, maintaining that openness, following your zone of genius, and still creating a plan and a strategy and um, a way forward that kind of gives you some grounding just in terms of like your oper- your business operations and how you're yeah. going to pay your team yeah. and things like that. <laughs> yeah. So I, so I think that's a really good question because I don't want to sound like one of those people who's like, follow right. your passion and like, you know, because that doesn't work. Like I, I, and I can see how what I just said could sound like that, but I think that I am very strategic. Well, one of my one one as part of what my zone of genius is actually in the big picture thinking and the strategy, but also um, integrating that into implementation. Mm-hmm. So what I did in architecture was always like working, consulting with a client ahead of time to understand um, what their culture is currently was currently, and then what they wanted the culture to be, and then. You know, as an architect, I was helping to design workspaces that supported that shift. Now with my clients, with organizations, I'm working more directly on basically the design of the organization that will support, you know, what are the processes and programs and policies and um, activities that will support the shift in culture that, that they are looking for. And so I am have always been really good at being able to see the big picture and then sort of see all the steps that it would take in order to implement it. And I've always been the through line on those projects from that big idea and then making sure that everything is aligned to that vision through to execution. So I think um, how that plays out in my own business is really paying attention to um, like I said, you know, what energizes me and my what my zone of genius is, but also sort of my values and my vision. And so I think it's it's a very clear idea about the why mm-hmm. and the what and an openness about the how, but also being strategic in designing a container that is flexible enough to um, morph or contain some different um, some different outcomes, if that makes sense. Like I, having been, like all of my years of experience in architecture actually means that I really know how to build a consulting company. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things actually with Photosanity was um, I... I'm much more of a B2B than a B2C person. And mm-hmm. I actually, I learned this lesson like over 20 years ago in architecture because the first job I had in architecture was doing residential, which is the B2B, B2C version in architecture. And I was like, I don't like doing this. I want to, <laughs> I want to, I want to, <laughs> I want to have organized, I want to have a bigger impact than a single individual at a time. I want to work with organizations. So of course, and now I've learned that lesson again. I was like, oh, wait a second. I learned this like 25 years ago. Um, but um, I know I, I, it feels really natural to, like, I just know how to build a consulting company. I yeah. know what it looks like. I know all the different pieces. I know how to calculate, you know, down to like calculating billable hours, you know, billable rates and like looking at the whole sort of developing a business model. And I've learned that all the, along the way with the different businesses I've had as well. And so 
in a way, the strategy and implementation side comes more naturally to me, or ha like I've I've been working and developing my skills on all of those pieces. So I think the missing piece was the was the was the zone of genius, and sort of combining that with what I know about how to build a consulting, like how to do consulting projects and build a consulting business. Um, that's how it's coming together. So it's not like there's no strategy. Um, on, um, but, th but that piece feels a lot easier to me, if that makes any sense. Totally makes sense. Um, Alethea, what are you really excited about today? What I am really excited about today, um, so many things. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, that's a really big question. I am really excited about the work that I'm doing. I mean, I, it's funny, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, actually at an architecture conference on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I got to stand on stage in front of 300 architects and say all the things I was never able to say mm -hmm. while I was in architecture. And it was, again, the weirdest, thing. and I never felt more included and valued and seen in the profession. Wow. For saying all of those things that I had been too afraid to say. And I just got the photos back and I, I was kind of, like, I look like I'm having such a blast on that stage. And I really was, but it was funny two weeks later to look at the photos and I'm like, I'm having a really good time at this, like, you know, um, speaking, you know, about these things. Like it is so healing for me personally, but just then the, you know, you know, and I spoke on stage and, and people, um, came and thanked me afterwards of, you know, people of all different backgrounds and races. And um, I know that I've received so much healing when I've heard other people of color particularly speak on these issues and to now be able to um, bring some healing, particularly to the people of color in the audiences that I speak to and the clients that I work with, um, that is so exciting to me. It's amazing. Alethea Fitzpatrick, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and giving us so much incredible insight on your own resilience through that journey and how it's led you to the amazing work you're doing today. Thank you so much, Tara. It's been really great to talk with you about it. Find out more about Alethea Fitzpatrick and co-creating inclusion at co-creatinginclusion.com. So what's really working to run and grow a small business today? If you're like me, that's the question you ask yourself every day. Well, the team at What Works and I have made it our mission to gather the stories of people who are making it work and the resources that are helping them do it and deliver them to you each week in the What Works Weekly newsletter. You'll get all those hand-selected finds plus my own reflections on business and life as an entrepreneur every Thursday when you subscribe free of charge. Go to explorewhatworks.com to join us for free. That's explorewhatworks.com. What Works is a production of Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 240 more candid conversations with small business owners and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at explorewhatworks.com. 